Okay, I've got a question for you. When was the last time you purchased a ticket? It could be for anything, a concert, a musical, a sports game. There have been a few tickets that we have bought over the years, obviously, that have been probably a little bit more pressing than others. Immediately, I think of AFL Grand Final tickets, not that I want to relive that experience of 2017 at all. And another one might be plane tickets, especially if that plane is taking you to a wonderful holiday destination, finding the right airline for you, then the right price and a good seat location. There's a sense of anticipation and responsibility in getting the right ticket, yeah? These days, when you purchase tickets, it's pretty much instant. You pay for them, usually online, and then you can print your own or even just have a digital ticket that's just kept on your phone. But what that ticket represents is that you have a place, just one place specifically reserved just for you. I might go as far to say that it feels a little bit special to know that once you've secured your ticket and the event comes along, you walk up to the entrance, you flash that ticket and you have automatic entry. A bit like how Aaron described the gatekeeper last week in his message. If you have the ticket, you're good. You find your seat and there's always that little moment, isn't there, when you sit and you look around and think, wow, I'm here, I've made it. So today's scripture message comes from John 14, 1 to 14. And you might notice that we seem to be stepping backwards a bit as we find ourselves back to conversations between Jesus and the disciples before his crucifixion. But it's worthwhile taking some time to unpack some of those deeper conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. So here we go. John 14, 1 to 14. Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So here we have another one of these encounters where Jesus is sharing more information about what the disciples are to expect And then the disciples ask all the questions that often feel extremely relatable if we were to put ourselves in their shoes. So prior to this conversation, Jesus had been washing the feet of the disciples. 
Jesus had predicted the betrayal of Judas, and then he also predicted Peter's denial. He was on a roll, really, at this point. But considering all of these, Jesus then turns to sharing the inevitable truth that he will not be with them in physical presence for much longer, which would have been a really tough pill to swallow for the disciples. Remember, this was their Messiah. We reflected a few weeks ago about how after the crucifixion of Jesus, the disciples were completely dejected, all hopes dashed. Well, here, as we hit the rewind button a little bit, we see a room full of still hopeful disciples who are suddenly hearing words that instantly throw them back into their immaturity. Not an immaturity that we might understand in a worldly sense. They weren't being childish in their response. But as Jesus shares his news, they fell straight back into an immature understanding of who Jesus is, how he is connected with God and where they fit into his big plan. Poor old Thomas strikes again with his very practical thinking and asks, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. These questions pretty much threw every bit of Jesus' teaching out the window as they search for the worldly knowledge of what Jesus is trying to tell them. If Jesus isn't going to be with them anymore, they will no longer have relationship with him, right? Because they haven't physically seen God They don't know God, right? But Jesus is pretty quick to respond with these infant queries. He answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. I imagine Jesus thinking, how do these guys not get this by now? I think if I were delivering these truths, it would be difficult to fight the impulse to physically shake the disciples. Why are you not getting it? But also, to their defence, Jesus was unlike anyone they had ever come across. So everything he had said or did was always somewhat surprising or against the grain. So by now, these questions would just be an automatic reflex response, which is testament to the truly intimate relationships that were built within this group. No questions were off the table. They were in a safe space. But see, this is the thing. They were so close to each other, literally doing life every single day with each other. And suddenly Jesus announces that he will be leaving them. That's pretty jarring, right? I still remember having to break the news to our families that we would be moving to Melbourne for training college. The four of us had always lived in Adelaide, close to our families, a stone's throw to some... Amelia and Brody were only five and two at the time, and we were moving away. Naturally for all of us, there were a lot of questions and fear of what this meant for our relationships. Our worldly response was that distance was going to be detrimental to our relationships with our families, which then brought on a grief of loss. So the disciples were assuming the same. Physical distance was going to have an ending effect on the relationship. But here is Jesus trying to explain to them and to us that we need to start thinking and living in the spiritual sense. That the relationship with Jesus doesn't end. It's not severed by death, 
but that the relationship is ongoing into eternity. Jesus encourages them to continue to believe in God and in him, which furthermore declares Jesus' participation in his full divinity with God. Both Thomas and Philip's questions reveal how little we as humans comprehend the God who has come to us in Jesus Christ. This conversation heavily speaks into our own understanding of worldly life and death. As we think of our fleeting life here on earth and even may feel a sense of fear due to the mystery surrounding what happens after we leave this world. Once again, our automatic response reveals that we still have this involuntary reaction to fall into darkness. It feels safer or more believable to comprehend our reality through worldly eyes that tell us that death is final and causes an endless separation. Because that is what we see. That's what we experience. But that is not God's way. And by succumbing to that worldly understanding, we're removing ourselves from the light of God. Jesus is calling for a switch into mature, faithful and spiritual understanding. Jesus explains that not only is he going ahead of his followers, but he's also preparing a place for them to be with him, which brings them into his eternal story. How good is that? Jesus, who belongs at the right hand of God, returns to his rightful place, but not like a visitor who comes to check out the scenery and then returns home without a second thought. No, he intentionally returns to his rightful place in the heavens, preparing a place for each of us who believe in him. So what does this tell us about our creator? What if we were to translate the word room into the idea of time or the word place into the idea of time? Because when we think of room or a place, we think of a physical spot, right? Much like the sought-after tickets to the next big superstar concert, limited tickets, get in quick. But if we think of room as time, then our eyes open wider to the understanding of who God truly is. What if we came to understand that room in eternity for us meant that God has all the time in eternity for us? God has time for us, meaning that eternity isn't an immunity to time, but that God is allowing all the time he needs to be in relationship with us. God's promise to love us, to make room for us, to know us and be known by us actually never ends. What we're learning about God through Jesus Christ is that God has chosen not to be God without us. In fact, the very reason why Jesus came to earth as one of us was because God wants us to see clearly that he wants to be in intimate relationship with his creation. God doesn't want to be God without us. Our whole purpose of existence is to be in fellowship with God. Therefore, God offers as much time as he can, eternity, in fact, to be with us. And this is why God gives us every opportunity to believe in him. He sent Jesus to earth to make the most public of statements to show that he wants to give us a second and a third and a fourth and an eternal chance to come to him. God is where we belong. God is our creator who knows who we are in our inmost being. Aaron shared with us last week that Jesus is the one true way to God, our shepherd, our holy gatekeeper. We have opportunity to accept Jesus into our hearts. And when we do, we are saying yes to the eternity with our creator. If we don't accept the invitation and choose to adjust our eyesight to eternity thinking and believing, 
then we're not fulfilling our true purpose set out by God. It's like inviting everyone to a special event. You've catered food for them, you've organised entertainment, made the place uh, pleasing to the eye with extra special care for your anticipated guests. You've invited them because your relationship matters deeply. But then they simply don't show up. They don't show up because something else got in the way and they chose the other event or task. They chose to prioritise their busy life over your relationship. That's kind of what we do every time we choose our other daily tasks over God. The eternity part doesn't start once we pass on from this world. It's already started. We're in eternity now. Because remember, eternity isn't a place or a destination. It's time. Right at the beginning of this text, Jesus started with, do not let your hearts be troubled. Then he gives us this exact reminder about the course of eternity. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. We should know the way to the place where Jesus is going because we're already on the journey. So therefore, do not let your hearts be troubled. It sounds simple, right? But ultimately, if we live our lives with eternity in mind, then our whole perspective changes. Earthly life and death no longer seem so big. Remember, our life on earth is nothing but a single grain of sand compared to the eternity laid out for us. If nothing else, if we're living life this way, then we can surely take a bit of a breather, right? Each detail of our earthly life only matters if it's contributing to the eternity timeline. How fitting that we are about to begin our Red Shield Appeal campaign for 2023, which can instantly bring a sense of pressure and busyness and overwhelmed duty. And Jesus in this text is reminding us that we know the bigger picture. We can get so wrapped up in the overwhelm of busy, right? In the overwhelm of the to-do lists and expectations by others, overwhelmed by the rapid pace in which this world is evolving with technology and regulations and change and knowledge and power. But in the scope of eternity, though, all these overwhelming details also become just a part of that grain of sand. If God intends on something to happen, then he'll make a way. Pretty much like how we made a way, he made a way for us to be in eternal relationship with him through the sacrifice of Jesus. He's not afraid to do big gestures and he's not afraid to do small ones either. We don't need to wait in line, pay the big bucks, secure the best tickets, do everything we can to make sure we have a place in eternity. We need only to cling to Jesus, which will continue our journey of eternity with God. There's an American writer named Stephen R. Covey and he said, what does it matter how much we do if what we're doing isn't what matters most? So I want to ask you this morning, what is it that matters most to you? If at the end of this worldly life you didn't conquer mountains, make big money, gain recognition or excellence for a big achievement, will you be disappointed? What if you don't achieve anything spectacular but you have committed to living in proximity with Jesus and accepted the journey of eternity with God. All that other stuff is great, but it's only great if you don't sacrifice your place in eternity to do it. 
It's so easy to lose sight of the big picture, our eternal purpose, and get sucked into the worldly view. Even the disciples who were literally spending their days with the physical Jesus many times easily fell back into this trap. So we must be on guard. The enemy comes only to steal, kill and destroy. We must guard ourselves by remaining close to Jesus. It's the same Jesus who reminded the disciples again and again that there is a place for all of us. And while the relationship is different to the physical relationships we have here on earth, it is one that lives within us and works through us. It's one that allows us to do even greater things than Jesus himself did during his time on earth. And this is good news if we believe it. Good news that we can share to others time and time again so that others know that they have a place too, that they have some quality time with our creator. What a privilege to carry such good news to others, right? It's like standing outside the venue for the big event and handing out thousands of free tickets to anyone who wants to gain access. How fun would that be? What good are handfuls of tickets to an event when we only need one for ourselves? Let's get as many people into the eternal gates of fellowship with God, our creator, our provider, our counsellor and protector, the one who never wants to be God without us. It just blows your mind to think about it. In a moment, we're going to just play a song on the screen. I want you to spend some time in just reflection. Some of the words say, when the road runs dead, you can see a way I don't, and it makes no sense, but you say that's what faith is for. When I see a flood, you see a promise. When I see a grave, you see a door. And when I'm, I'm at my end, you see where the future starts. I don't know how you make a way, but I know you will. You've been good on every promise, from Eden to Zion, through every dead end and out of that grave. I don't know how you make a way, but I know you will. And I pray that those are your beliefs as well as we think about our part in eternity with our Creator.